0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode of Meetin 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com.
2: Uh, I've been doing more than my fair share of cooking during quarantine. I think it's the only thing that's been keeping me sane. So I've been trying to get creative about how to make my ingredients, especially fresh produce last a long time. I've been sprouting um, scallions and leeks. So any sort of um, vegetable that you could buy at the grocery store that has a root system attached to it, They take really well when you put them in water. So I have a little glass with water on the bottom where I keep my scallions in the window. And when I need some scallions, I snip some off the top and it's really fun to see them grow. They grow super fast. (laughs) Whether you've been stepping up your home gardening too, relying on pantry staples, or ordering in during your quarantine, the amount of food going in and out of our home is a matter at the forefront of our minds. For that reason, this week our show is all about waste. From quarantine cuisine to a Michelin star restaurant that's doing more with less, to a city council campaign tightly linked to a local compost center. We're all learning and the more we learn and share with each other, the better off we all are. I'm Hannah Forden filling in for Kat Johnson. And this is Meet and Three.
3: Meet and Three.
4: Meet and Three. Meet and Three. three. One meat, three sides.
3: Food, news, and storytelling.
4: A square meal
2: for your ears.
4: Meet and Three.
2: We're living in uncertain times due to the COVID 19 outbreak. The latest outlooks from the federal government say we might be living with some form of shutdown or social distancing for the next few months. Millions of people are facing the fact that they'll be spending a lot more time in their home kitchens, as restaurants are no longer able to offer dine-in service. One of the first coronavirus-related conversations to take hold on food Twitter centered around what people plan to eat while stuck at home and how to get as much mileage as possible out of pantry staples while reducing food waste. There is one person who knows a thing or two about cooking at home for long stretches of time. HRN host and author of the blog Not Eating Out in New York, Kathy Irway. We checked in to see what she's seeing, hearing, and cooking during this unusual time.
4: I see a ton of activity on things like what to cook for you know, being quarantined, like quarantine cuisine. I actually got a press release about something like quarantine cuisine. I was like, oh my gosh, what does that even mean?
2: When we spoke to Kathy, New York was only a few days into social distancing mode. Lots of folks had rushed out to stock up on pantry staples, but she was cooking the kind of food she usually does.
4: I have a lot of fresh things right now. I have a soup on my stove that I've been cooking since like midday or so. It has some beans, it has um, some leftover marinara sauce that I made for pasta the other day and I didn't finish all of it. It's basically like a minestrone and I have um, some leftover greens I'm gonna toss in there. So yeah, leftover soup right now.
2: Cooking and eating will be a comfort for many of us as we all adjust to a new temporary normal. I consider myself a pretty avid home cook, so I'm trying to develop some strategies for grocery shopping efficiently, when I eventually have to go out to restock, cutting down on food waste, and stretching ingredients and leftovers in creative ways. But for others who are going to be cooking more than they usually do, I'm sure there may be some stress around meal planning and prep. Kathy had an excellent tip for making cooking a fun and interesting part of your day.
4: So I wouldn't, you know, just get black beans and rice um, or, you know, things that you're used to, whatever that may be to you. I would get a few things that you're not used to. So if you see something like, I don't know, um, a jar of capers, I know that seems like the last thing you need for survival. But if it helps you kind of spruce things up, um, then that could be fun. Or canned uh, artichoke hearts, uh, hearts of palm, something like that.
2: As we live through the COVID-19 pandemic, we face a historic moment unlike anything else in our lifetimes. It seems pretty likely that the world is going to look a lot different once this is all over. And the way we feed ourselves might change significantly.
4: The reality is that I think a lot of people are just sort of really getting into the weeds of everyday simple home cooking, maybe for the first time. And hopefully it 's less based on fear, but you know of course, there are a lot of um, other conversations going on about like what do I need you know to survive I-, I think that you can survive on anything you like, anything you you like and you want to cook. I mean, I saw somebody at the bodega uh, just yesterday buy a whole like twenty four pack of ramen, and you know that 's great. I mean, I have no qualms with that if that 's what excites you, what floats your boat. Um, It's great. So, yeah, stock up on the things you love and and don't worry about, you know, what's the most quarantine cuisine-appropriate dish to make.
2: Kathy's blog, Not Eating
4: Out in New York, is a truly excellent resource
2: for anyone who needs tips and ideas for cooking at home. Head to noteatingoutinny.com to browse her recipe archive. It goes back to 2006. In our next story, Dylan Hoyer speaks with city council candidate Sandy Nurse. She shares her journey from creating a local compost center to her choice to run in a Brooklyn special election.
1: Sandy Nurse has been a community organizer in Bushwick, Brooklyn for nearly a decade. As an activist, she has advocated for local change on a number of fronts. But her decision to launch a political campaign didn't come naturally.
3: It certainly wasn't in my vision for myself I've never wanted to be a politician I've spent most of my time here in New York raging out against politicians
1: as is true for people across the country the past 4 years have changed Sandy's perspective on who belongs in office
3: the violence that's being enacted on immigrant communities and uh, communities of color really is is creating a a need for more folks who are from outside uh electoral politics who are who are more movement-based, to step into that space.
1: Sandy initially declared herself a candidate for state assembly. Things changed when city council member Rafael Espinal announced he would be leaving his position before the official term was up. She switched races and pursued the chance to represent New York City's 37th district. It encompasses Bushwick, Cypress Hills, Brownsville, and East New York. Her life is deeply embedded in this district, which she considers her first real home.
3: I came here in 2009 really to put some roots down for the first time in my life, to try and start to build some chosen family and community. And what I found here was a, a very inviting, very warm, open community that was just full of joy and full of also all, uh, tons of really cool projects.
1: Growing up, Sandy moved frequently because her parents were in the Navy. When she arrived in Bushwick 11 years ago, she didn't start planning projects right away. She took time to get to know the community.
3: I think my experience moving around a lot always created in me a sense of, you know, look before you move. Then just kind of taking a moment to listen and observe. It took me probably like a couple years before I felt comfortable, you know, moving something of my own or moving some of my own ideas, and largely was trying to support what was already going on here.
1: In 2012, Sandy invested her time and energy in creating a local organization that is still going strong today. BK Rot is a fossil fuel-free, waste hauling and composting service. Food scraps and other types of waste are picked up and delivered by bikers. She came up with the idea while working as a food delivery worker.
3: I was kind of in between careers in Was really excited and profoundly inspired by just how many goods and services are delivered through the bike economy, how many people it can employ, both in the informal and formal market. And I wanted to think about how to enhance that.
1: Sandy found the opportunities she was looking for in organic waste. Starting a compost center proved to be surprisingly effective at meeting various community needs.
3: A place where We have uh, waste transfer stations that emit smells, where we have almost like 60 large scale waste trucks flowing through our community, where we have high rates of asthma, where we have lead in our soil. You know, our community being a low wealth community of color, having been decided that this is an area where uh, waste infrastructure should exist, the inequity of that. Is, is something that we were also trying to build a counter-narrative around. What is a waste system that is equitable, that is
1: inclusive,
3: that is empowering?
1: From its inception, BK Rot was about more than encouraging people to compost their waste. It's about building a more sustainable economy. That means addressing environmental racism, creating local job opportunities, and paying workers a living wage.
3: The minimum wage was, I think, 7 or $8 dollars an hour starting from the position that $15 an hour is what we need to pay and building a business model around collecting and processing organic waste in the center of a community is seemed at the time very implausible
1: sandy had more than a few barriers to overcome the biggest being the cost of land she ultimately put down roots on public land and became a nonprofit But the high cost of every square foot presented itself as an obstacle time and time again in Sandy's work to create gathering spaces for community members and activists. The issues she's faced as an organizer are now resurfacing in her campaign, which prioritizes affordable housing.
3: working to fight against that cost and against the speculative forces and predatory development that's creating this situation that is really, um, really prohibiting a lot of forward thinking work to happen. We need to provide stability for people. We can't organize if we're not stable. We can't learn if we're not stable. We cannot effectively um, plan for our futures or plan for... Um, the larger crises that we're in, as an example of right now with the coronavirus, where we're trying to get uh, eviction moratoriums and rent freezes and mortgage freezes in the event of a pandemic.
1: If elected, Sandy promises to sustain her focus on the intersection of development and environmental justice.
3: You know, housing, hyperlocal economic development will be the, the forefront of what I do. But hyper a hyperlocal economic development to me is an opportunity to look at a, a new sustainable economy, reskilling people, um, offering workforce development in new types of industries that are, are beneficial and not
1: extractive. So th- it's all kind of interwoven. She also hopes to continue the conversation about waste treatment that helped propel her to where she is today.
3: Trying to get as many people into the fold on recycling, organic waste recycling, um, trash reduction, um, reducing the use of single-use plastic. I definitely would love to be on the sanitation committee and continue to push for you know, as best of a, a waste management system as possible for New York City.
1: District 37's special city council election is scheduled to take place on April 28th. If you're a local resident, you can find out where to vote at vote.nyc. And you can learn more about composting in your neighborhood at vkrot.org.
2: We'll be right back with more Meet and 3.
1: This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S. grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's super fruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor, U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at ChooseCherries.com.
2: Welcome back to Meet in 3. This week, we're taking a close look at food waste an especially pressing topic as people across the world are stocking up on groceries in the hopes they'll last through weeks, maybe months, of quarantine. While restaurants in most major cities have temporarily shuttered, these businesses are constantly looking at waste. In fact, many of them have had to be very creative in how to utilize walk-ins full of food within a few days as social distancing went into effect. On episode 126 of Feast Your Ears, which was recorded in 2018, host Harry Rosenblum addresses this with chef Ryan Rotino from the Michelin-starred restaurant Bresca in Washington, D.C.
0: Tell me about Zero Foodprint and tell me about how you got involved with it.
5: So, I mean... I- Personally, like, got involved with it just doing some research. Like, when we first opened, I was very into the no – like, we don't do plastic tasting spoons. We don't do plastic straws. Before, that was, like, a cool thing, right? But we're actually in the process of trying to source, like, club soda and stuff that doesn't come with the plastic – on right. top but like we make sure we cut it, all of those things up into pieces so that way it can never end up like around an animal or yeah. something like that and that's been a focus since the beginning we bought metal tasting spoons we have a bus tub every night that we keep pre rinsing. in they all go in there. there's like 800 of them Maybe right. they all go in there we're definitely tasting but yeah. they all go in there they get washed at the end of the night come back the next day they're, we're ready to go with them all over again but like rather than throwing 2000 pieces of plastic in the trash yeah. every week right but yeah and then from there we were like how can we keep elaborating on this? And then the animals, like we started we're like, hey, we have a lot of animals that, like, we use a lot of bones for stock. What comes out on stock, you have a lot of fat on top. Like, um, if you can render the fat off prior to stock, and then you have nice fat to cook with, right? And then what does that do? That then decreases our oil usage, which then ultimately saves us money. Yeah. So, like, food cost is big, right? So, we save food costs. We serve better product by cooking animals in their own animal fat. And we lower our impact on, like, the process of, like, making oils and harvesting oils, yeah. or, um, like, olives and all that. So, as we started to refine that and what we were doing, I started like researching a little bit about like who else is like really like doing this. Like in the, and then I stopped, I came across zero carbon footprint yep. in like um, not too much on the East coast. Right. Yeah. Mostly on the West coast and Scandinavia, like, yep. and it's like big, I, I, deemed, I thought it was gonna be like this very expensive thing, right, Noma, like these restaurants where dinner is yeah. definitely far more expensive than mine. So I'm like, ooh, I don't know if we're gonna be able to do this, but we reached out just like, hey, what is like all this about? I read their articles and how Noma, for instance, like changed their, their gas for their kitchen and cut their carbon footprint almost in half and right. all of those articles and I was like, it's incredible. So like, in reality, it's more like what you're donating to the program to offset your carbon footprint is affected by your usage and your, or lack there of like paying attention to what you are using, right? right. So we're already doing that. And then they do like a very in-depth assessment of what you're doing. They give you like a report card. They, they want to read your meter for electricity. They want yeah, all of yeah, that, I you mean, know, they, super cool. Yeah. They really get in there and like, see what's going on in your space and call your trash company and like all the above. And the, where do you source your lamb from? How is that lamb raised on the pasture? Is it on a clock system? Is it like all of that? And like, that really like determines the impact that those animals are having on the environment, which like, I never even thought about it to that extent, yeah. but this is what they're doing. Right. And, um, So for us, they got our assessment back, and it was actually, like, it was decent, right? Like, uh, it was actually just, like, a tenth under the average of a home cooking.
2: Ryan has lots of ideas for how each of us can waste less. To hear the rest of the conversation, be sure to check out episode 126 of Feast Your Ears. In our last story, we're taking a listen to Luke Griffin's interview with Maria Romero on Bushwick Podcast. Maria worked in the fashion industry until she could no longer stand the environmental harm caused by fabric production. In order to create what she saw lacking, she started her own textile business called Tintoreria, with the goal of creating more responsible objects, and soon discovered an unusual source for her dyes.
6: Some of the supplies for Maria's dyes are brought up from Oaxaca, but most are sourced directly from the greater Brooklyn community that surrounds Bushwick.
2: So, I'm using two things from Oaxaca because I wanted to bring like those into the into the game because I think are like very vibrant colors. And then I try to work with color that I can outsource from local restaurants or gardens. One is the acorn, the other ones are the avocados that are donated by two restaurants in Williamsburg.
6: Maria works with local restaurants and gardens to gather ingredients like avocado pits, acorns, and onion skins to produce the natural dyes at the heart of Tintoreria. As she describes it, her process is a lot like brewing teas. She boils different ingredients to create dye baths for the clothing, hence the food and kitchen supplies that are scattered around her studio. Sometimes the results go as expected, like when onion skins make a brownish green, but other times they're more surprising, like when avocado pits make a reddish pink. Maria's waste-heavy approach may seem like an unusual strategy, but it's one that creates a surprising opportunity for the neighborhood to be more responsible together. Residents and businesses alike work with Maria to upcycle that waste in the form of clothing and food that would otherwise be garbage for the greater good of the community.
2: I was the one who was in Sara every Friday just to check it out, you know? And I was the one doing online shopping, and I was the one who wanted seven sweaters, one in each color, on sale. But I'm not anymore.
6: Maria is bringing together what is, today at least, a niche community. But it's one that may yet be the start of a true movement. The words that hang in Maria's studio... We create a better future by embracing our past, neatly capture the ethos of where she's heading with both Maria Romero Textiles and Tintoraria.
2: To learn more about Maria's transformation of trash to textiles, you can visit TintorariaProject.com and listen to episode 5 of Bushwick Podcast, titled, She Is Maria. Special thanks this week to the whole team for putting this episode together from our makeshift home studios. HRN is now in its second week of remote operations and we are committed to continuing to tell stories from every corner of our food system throughout the coronavirus crisis. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, sane, and healthy. HRN has put together a page where we have even more information on how the pandemic is impacting our food system. We've got resources available to folks in the food industry, and we also have a roundup of all of our COVID-19 coverage. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. Meet 3 is produced by Kat Johnson, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And this program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet & 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet & 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story you'd like to share or if you'd just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin 3nyc That's all spelled out.